If you would, please turn to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 14. I'll be reading Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. Acts 14, 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Blessed is the reading of God's Holy, inerrant, infallible, inspired, and historical word to our hearts and to our souls. Let's pray. Father, we are awed by your presence this morning. The precious Holy Spirit loves to glorify the Lord Jesus, who loves to glorify your fatherly care and love for us. And so I plead with you that as your word is now unfolded to us, that you would so overcome all distractions in our minds and heads that we will continue in a state of awe and wonder and worship and joy and delight in what we see this morning to the glory of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. There has been a, in my viewpoint, a very strange, kind of thing happening over the last 60 or so years in the American Evangelical Church. And that is a kind of separation from doing evangelism from the local church. You tell people, out at the park, the pier, street witnessing, a homeless shelter. Affirm that Jesus died for your sins. Affirm that God raised Him from the dead. Okay, now say a prayer. Ask Him to come into your heart. Then you tell them, you are now a Christian. You are saved. Heaven is assured. And oftentimes, it's the last time you ever see Him. Without ever telling them, you must love what Jesus 
loves. You must love what Jesus came to establish. A community. A people. The church. As Jesus declared to Peter and in the presence of His apostles in Matthew 16, verse 18, on this rock that you saw it, that new birth happened to you, Peter. The fathers revealed the truth to you. Upon that rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But this separation of evangelism from the local church, that was not at all Paul and Barnabas' goal in their evangelism. Yes, we have seen over the last few weeks in this first missionary journey, they have gone from city to city to city as evangelists, gospel preachers to those who have not heard, and to preach the message of salvation to them. But then we see they went back. They went back, not as evangelists this time, but they went back as shepherds with pastoral instructions and care for the believers. And Paul and Barnabas began to organize them in these cities as churches with elders. And that's the main place we're going this morning. Let's go back. What have we seen? This is the first missionary journey of Paul's. Now along with Barnabas. They went to the island of Cyprus. They went to the towns there. Then they get on a boat. They go to the mainland. They go through the city of Perga. They go up to Antioch of Pisidia. And they go to Iconium. And as they're preaching the gospel in these towns, some Jews... And some non-Jews come to faith in Jesus and believe and they hang with them. They instruct them somewhat. But within weeks, Paul and Barnabas are chased out of town running for their lives because of their message. And then they arrive now in the city of Lystra, and as we saw last week, Paul preaches, and in the midst of that, there's a crippled man, and the Lord Jesus uses him to heal this crippled man who had never walked. And then the town folk, these pagans, they want to offer animal sacrifices to Paul and to Barnabas, thinking they're Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And Paul put a quick stop to it. And then Luke continues in verse 19. Of chapter 14. But Jews came from Antioch when they chased him out of there, and Iconium when they chased him out of there. And having persuaded the crowds, because they went all the way to Lystra to follow them, pursue them, to persecute them, they persuaded the crowd, they picked up rocks and stoned Paul. And then dragged him out of the city. Evidently he was unconscious. Supposing that he was dead. But this is what's amazing. But when the disciples gathered about him. 
He rose up and he entered the city, clearly clandestinely. And the very next day, he went on with Barnabas, 60 mile walk to the town of Derby. Their faithfulness, their persistence in preaching the gospel in spite of violence, in spite of intense opposition, that was astounding. And it is that same commitment and faithfulness to the gospel and to Christ's church is what led Paul and Barnabas then to do what they did next. When they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we who believe, we Christians, must enter the kingdom of God. So now at this point, if you know your Bible maps in the back of your Bible at all, they're already now in Derby. They're closer to their home-based church than they have been throughout the whole missionary journey since they left. They could now easily go back to the home base, the shortcut. But they didn't. They went away from home base to make sure now they go back through each of these cities. They were evangelists. They had evangelistic hearts. But they also had pastoral hearts. Hearts to feed the sheep. To help the sheep. To encourage to instruct, to admonish, to warn, to strengthen, to grow these new disciples in these various cities. And that's why Paul and Barnabas then spend the next few months going back to each town, spending time with each Christian community in the cities. They didn't go back this time to do public evangelism. And I think one reason is clear. Well, their stay in that city is going to last a day or two then. They're going to be chased out again. And they don't want that. They mean to go back now and to continually teach and gather with the church that has been birthed in the towns. They wanted to spend quantity and quality time with the church to help them now be more grounded and functioning because they're going to leave. And they also knew that these new communities now established in the different cities will go on with the work of evangelism now. This is their town. This is where they live. It's where they do life. It's where they do business. It's where they shop. And so they're there. 
And notice verse 22. Luke tells us what they're doing. They go back and they are strengthening the souls. Not their bodies. They're not concerned about that. We parents are concerned about that with our children. Make sure they eat food for their biological selves. Here they're, they're strengthening the immaterial selves, the inner persons, the souls of the believers. So you've got to ask, how? What does it mean? I think the answer is obvious. By teaching them. Showing them what the Old Testament is. The Greek translation, the Septuagint, that they have. What these books are, how Christ is. The answer to the promises. They are giving them the doctrine, the eyewitness testimonies of the others about Christ's death and about His resurrection and about the meaning of the sacrifice of Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. They are instilling the best they can the foundational understanding and doctrine for these people. Leaving them with some of Jesus' parables, etc. They're teaching them some songs, some hymns. They're showing them the psalm book. It's right there in the Bible. Sing together. So think about it, right? These people that are now disciples, it's only because of the miracle of new birth. Right? And so as they're, they're going back through these towns and hanging out for weeks on end, day after day after day after day, meeting together with him, according to Paul, this is what's happening with them. As they are hearing the word of God unfolded, they are thrilled. They are seeing the glory of God in the scripture, the word of God, the gospel of Christ. That's what's happening in them. And there's another thing that Paul and Barnabas are doing, verse 22. They're also, quote, encouraging them to continue. Don't stop. Continue in the faith. And they're saying this. It is through many tribulations. You guys have seen it with Paul, Barnabas and me. Many hard things. It is through that that we finally enter the future kingdom. Or you can say it this way. I'm convinced. Oh, he says it different ways. We see through his letters how Paul says, he's telling them, do you guys see what's happened? I know that. You see the joy in you, Jim Bob and Sally? Yes, it's because you heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit fell upon you. And what happened to you, he transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness. And by the Holy Spirit, He transferred you into the unseen kingdom of Christ. You're no longer of this world. 
That's why your life is now changed. You cannot continue to live as some of you have been living in sexual promiscuity and worshiping idols and sacrifices over at the temple of Zeus. You cannot continue to do this. You're in the world. But you're no longer of the world. And because of that, be guaranteed throughout your life You'll be ridiculed. You'll experience tribulations. You'll experience persecutions. You will experience hard things because you've come to Jesus. Well, in about a month and a half, I got a son who's going to go off to a four-year college, and there will always be the welcoming. I'm used to this now, and they welcome them, and it's good. They actually give them some warnings about hard times. There's a nice welcome. This was Paul and Barnabas's welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to church. Welcome to being eternally saved and forgiven of your sins by Jesus Christ. You will experience tribulations. Is that how you were welcomed? Maybe, maybe not. That's how Paul and Barnabas did it, and they sounded very much like their Savior Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when others use their lips, their tongue, the sayings, they revile you, and they persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because of me, Jesus, in your life, they do this. And then Jesus says to them, Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. They sounded very much like their master. And then Luke tells us there is one other very crucial thing Paul and Barnabas were doing as they went back through these towns. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them, in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas' commitment to Jesus, their faithfulness to the gospel, leads them to help these new churches be organized under Christ's teaching by installing church leadership. The body of Christ is a living organism, not a dead governmental department of motor vehicles organization. The body of Christ is the very life of Christ by the Spirit flowing through each and every member of that body. And that's what gives its vitality, its direction, for the church. 
Each and every member in these towns, they're warning them, need to daily walk with the Lord. Continue. Continue is their message. Walk by the Holy Spirit. Maybe they even quoted Jesus' words from John 15, 5. When Jesus said to all of us who come to Him, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him or her, he it is that bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, when the members are not abiding in the vine, in the Lord Jesus, the church can become more and more just a dead organization rather than a living organism of life. But what Paul and Barnabas, what they know is that even organisms are organized. If they're not, Chaos follows. Biologically, we call it cancer. Rebellious, destructive cells start to accumulate and multiply. These apostles, Barnabas and Paul, in their function and what we have seen in these chapters, they're evangelists. They're church planners. They're going, bringing the gospel to unreached peoples. They're establishing churches by their preaching. That's what they are. Elders, on the other hand, are long-term residents who are responsible for oversight and care and sound teaching to the local churches. The church is a family. I mean, just, just think about the, the nuclear family, right? Mom and dad and three kids or eight kids or 12 kids or whatever you got. It's not a dead organization. We all know that. It's a family. It's alive. It's living. It's loving. It's dynamic. An organism. And yet, a family, if it's functional, it has structure. It has leaders. It's called dad and mom. And there are rules and there is discipline. But it's a living, loving, dynamic organism that's alive. Paul and Barnabas then go back. And Luke tells us. Now he's looking down the line because this is just so, we're going to see this in, in a few minutes. Throughout the New Testament, this idea of elders is just clearly embedded in the New Testament. And so when they go back to appoint elders, what'd they do? How'd they do it? This is what they didn't do. All right, here we are in Lystra. 
Okay, how, we got, how many? We got 76 converted men. So let's get all their names and put them in a hat. And Iconium, we got 157 men who love Jesus. Now let's take all their names and put them in a hat. And some, over here, we need, this, this, we need six. So let's draw six names and appoint them as elders. Over here, we need ten. Let's draw ten names and appoint them as elders. That's not what they did. They hung out with them. It's what they're doing. They're daily. They're not waiting until Sundays. They're daily preaching and teaching and eating and praying with and instructing the believers. They're hanging out and interacting with the body and they're getting a sense of Jim's rather wise. Now, yes, here's the problem here. They're all new believers at this point. Okay, But They're not going to leave them without elders. There's some wisdom there. Even before he came to Christ, there's gifts there. I see that with Jim and this other. They're noticing that person's really, you see how they ask those questions? They're really hungry and serious about truth. They're noticing this. They're looking, and as they see, they even see, who is it that even seems to already be shepherding, caring for fellow sheep, caring for the truth? about Christ and what they're learning. That's what they're doing. That's what makes their decision on who to appoint. And I say that, why? Because Paul clearly, in his letters then, he lays out, for others, this is how you do it. I'm just going to assume, Paul and Barnabas, they've already been Christians for 17 years. Elders have already been around in churches they know this. They're looking for particular characteristics that he lays out. So, I mean, for instance, in Titus chapter 1, he says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on, he says, How do you do it? How do I do it, Paul? He says this, if anyone is, and then he gives this whole list of characteristics. They're they're not this, and they're not that, and they're not that. No, no, no. But they're like, they're this, that, and that. That's how you find them. So that's what I think he's doing. So for the rest of our time, again, because we come across it here in Acts, it's a good time to teach on it. What are elders? First and foremost, according to the New Testament, there is only one office, not two or three or hierarchical offices going on. When it comes to spiritual leadership, one office in the local church of spiritual leadership. They're referred to in the New Testament either as elders or overseers in one of the main functions This verb idea of shepherding, sheep, leading, feeding. So just to get a taste, what we just saw here in our passage, they went back through these towns, and Paul and Barnabas, before they left, appointed, quote, elders for them in every church. Then in Acts 15, verse 2, we read this. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch, and there's the leadership in Antioch. And then the text says, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others 
were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles. Peter's still there. James, Jesus' brother, is an apostle. He's there. The apostle John is still there. Apostles, we don't know how many others were, but they're there. But not just to the leadership called the apostles, but and the elders who were there. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, the apostle Paul, he's in Miletus, and he says, go get them. Go get who? He says, he called for all the elders there in Asia Minor in these different towns. I want all the elders to come to me. And we just saw in Titus 1, Titus, I left you in Crete in order that you would appoint elders in each of the cities where the church is. In James 5, Jesus' brother writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, etc. So, just briefly then, I just want to show you why I make the contention that there's not two offices of one of overseer or bishop and one of elders or maybe another than technically of shepherds. There's one office. First, there's this New Testament term, overseer. It translates the Greek word episkopos. Okay. In that word episkopos, that's where we get this, this word that's come over to English through the Latin in the language called bishop, because bishop means oversight or oversee. The Greek word episkopos comes from two words coming together, making the one word. The preposition epi, which means over, and the word skopos, you can hear it in English, right? The scope, look through the scope, to see, to oversee, like a, like a dad, the head of the household, oversees with authority and leadership his house. It means oversee. Now, this is what Paul says in Titus 1. Here's the flow. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, now listen, and appoint elders. Well, that's the Greek word, presbyteros, or presbyteroi, if you want to make it plural. Pres, you could hear the word presbyterian, that's where that comes from. Presbyteroi, meaning elders. Pre, Okay. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Then he says this. Why? For an... And you would expect him to say an elder. But he doesn't use that term, presbyteros, here. He uses the term episkopos. He says the reason I'm telling you to, to appoint elders is because an overseer, as God's steward, must be. Point elders who have this characteristic, the reason is, is because an overseer. To Paul, these two terms are interchangeable. Then in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul calls, as I just said, the elders from Asia Minor to come to him. And this is what he says in verse 28 of Acts 20. To the elders. So here we are. We got elders he's talking to. And he says... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Okay, just for a moment. There's the shepherd idea. A flock, 
It's a metaphor for sheep. You're supposed to, as a shepherd, pay close attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, not elders, well, he did, but he's made you, here's the other word, overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now I want you to turn to 1 Timothy 1, I'm sorry, 3, 1 Timothy 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to an elder, a pastor, Timothy, and he says to him, starting with verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now, here in chapter 3, Paul's going to, he's using the term overseer. In chapter 5 of the same letter, he will use the term elder. An overseer, if he aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, or a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So now, now there's one other office in the New Testament. It's called the office of deacon. And the qualifications for deacons and for elders are all essentially the exact same, except for the office of elder there are two things added that they must have that deacons don't need to have. And that is, they must be able to teach. And they must be able to govern or rule well. That's what he says in chapter 5 of that same letter about them ruling and teaching. And then, the Apostle Peter himself, in 1 Peter 5, 1-2, we see all three of these terms attributed to the one office when he writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter calls himself an elder, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, here's the second word, verb form of it, shepherd, the flock of God. Now, shepherd comes through Latin, and then when it comes through the Latin, it comes out as pastor. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And here's the third word, exercising oversight. Okay, so what we get in the New Testament 
is that the function of elder, overseer, is twofold at its core. Governing and teaching. To oversee, to, to shepherd, to lead, all imply governance. Let's go this way. Let's go. And again, it's just assumed in the New Testament. For instance, when Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 12, he says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The over you, the governance, the admonishing, the teaching, the correcting, shoo away the sheep called Bad teaching, incorrect, admonish, instruct, encourage. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well, there's the rule, the governance, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So, Paul sees some really labor at the preaching and the teaching. And through the centuries, and even in the first century, it became clear some with, look, their full-time life is going into that. Preaching and teaching and it's how they're making their, their living. But that's not all the elders. There are elders that are doing that and other elders that we term lay. Lay means from, of the people, and it means they have jobs outside of that, but they have this equal responsibility of governing, holding to the truth. They've got to be able to teach. As Timothy says here, some labor at that. Maybe they go to seminary and spend time and their energy, their preaching, full-time earning a living. But all elders, whether there are two or twelve in a church, or twenty, half of them or more sometimes are what we call non-paid pastors. They all, though, for that office, must be able to teach. Really, what it doesn't mean they have to have a desire to ever stand up on a pulp, in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. It means they know Christian doctrine. It means they can smell error, error a mile away because they know the truth so well. It means they can sit down with a group of people in a home group or in a Sunday school class or a one person and lovingly admonish them and say, you've got to go this way because they know the Scripture. They're apt, able to teach. All right. So, where we're at now at this point is this. In the New Testament, this is what I've said. The church has leaders who are called elders or overseers who have the responsibility to govern and to feed the sheep. Teach the flock as shepherds. Okay, now let me, let me give you a big overview of the way I see this. Christ Jesus is the head of the church. 
He's the head of the church, universal. In that sense, there's only one church, living and dead. Even on earth that is alive, mortal like we are, there's one church in one sense, biblically. He is the head of it. And also biblically, there are ten thousands of churches, even as Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church, meaning distinct churches. He is the head of each and every church. And it is Christ Jesus who rules over His church, over His body. And He does not do it by some magical, mystical, secretive word that He speaks into the heart, into the ear of His pastors. So now go tell them this. Okay, this week, tell them this. Oh, I got a new one for you. That's not how He rules. The way Jesus from the beginning and foundation of the church rules and rules today is through His hand-picked apostles who laid the foundation That's what's happening in our text. They did not go to Antioch and Lystra and Iconium and Derbe and appoint elders and say, okay guys, you're leaders now. You guys are all able to teach. you got good speaking gifts. You can put you know, sentences together. Great, so just teach them. What? I don't know. Whatever comes to your mind. It's not what they did. They knew nothing. And the gospel came to them. And they went there and they tried to start to lay a foundation. They showed them that you have now in your possession, we have raised enough money to buy a few of these here in this church. They're expensive back then. Okay, it's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And they have that. And they left them probably with numbers of other writings that they gave to them and sayings of Jesus and orally kept teaching them. This we pass to you, elders. That's your job. Teach that. Be faithful to that. Well, it's the same here. Well, now they were alive. Well, the apostles have been long dead. I know. But we have. We have what Jesus clearly intended. Oh yeah, He's the cornerstone. But He lays the foundation in the first century through hand-picked apostles who by definition encountered Him in His resurrected glorified body. And at that moment in His resurrection, He appointed Peter and Matthew and His brother James And then even a couple years later, Paul. And at some point, Barnabas. He appointed them. That's what the church is founded on. The New Testament is the written, 
expression of Jesus' rule over the church. And therefore, pastors and elders are to know Christ's word and to be able to explain it, to teach it, and to use it to correct others with bad doctrine. In other words, Christ mediates His authority His teaching, His rule, His love through the Apostles' Word. And as we see then, when they leave these towns, He's appointed elders, meaning He mediates it through the preaching, through the teaching, through the defending of that Word, through the pastors, the elders, and the grasp of it. Pastors and elders are meant to sit at the feet of the Word. They're not meant to teach from the Word. The calling is not to use the Word and to promote their own creative thoughts. The commission, as he will say to Timothy, preach the word that I delivered to you, Timothy. And in that light, I'm going to slowly read Acts 20. I'm going to start in verse 18. This is where Paul says, get all the elders from the churches because I'm never going to see their face again. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This side of heaven and the resurrection, he's pretty positive he's not going to see them. I want to gather all the elders, the overseers, the shepherds. And he gives them a speech. And he says to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You know how I did not cower, shrink, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and in your homes from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch. He turns and he looks at the elders. And he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I, Paul, am innocent of the blood of all of you. Because I deliver to you. Holding nothing back. The truth. That's what he says. For I did not shrink 
from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I'm going to pause for a moment. It is a bold statement. But Paul, and we see it when he writes this clearly in 2 Corinthians. That's why it's an easily bold statement. He hates it when shepherds try to figure out how to not say anything wrong, but how to say things in such a way that it's blurry enough that it won't offend anybody. He hates it. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And now he really gazes at them and says, Pay careful attention to yourselves. How you live. And also to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which Jesus obtained with His, not yours, His own blood. And then these sober words He leaves them with. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you elders, not sparing the flock. And even from among your own selves, will rise men speaking twisted things in order to draw away the disciples after them. And therefore, I warn you, elders, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I, Paul, did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Pastors, and elders are called to take heed to Paul's words and to care for the flock. Now, this ruling and teaching, teaching and ruling, at its core in the church, this is why Jesus speaks this way. It's not that way with you. You're a servant. You'll wash their feet. You won't lord it over. That's why Paul speaks that way about lording over in, in secular structures of power. He says, it's not so with you. This shepherding is never done perfectly anywhere other than through the great shepherd Jesus. You know. But at its core, this kind of leadership is primarily through influence. Primarily through influence, not dictate. 
In other words, the way elders, church leaders, pastors influence is by first their example as a sheep. Because all elders are also sheep. They're also sinners who love the Lord Jesus. And He's sanctifying them. And there's a particular threshold of walk there are to walk. It is particularly by, essentially, a life of faith and repentance. Repenting as we sin and walk. And, secondly, the teaching of the Word. Influence. can't make people hear it. You can't make people obey it. Paul speaks that way. I water. Or I planted Paulus water. It's all we can do. Only God can cause growth and increase. But that influence first, we read this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And now what's stunning is what he says next. And it's frightening for people like Bob <laughs> and me. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And because therefore elders are to lead, not merely by teaching, but by example, that's why most of the qualifications for that office in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus 1, most of them are character issues. Studying what he says to Timothy, who is very dear and close to him personally. When he, he says this to Timothy, who is an elder, who is a pastor. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and also on the teaching. And then he tells him why. Timothy, persist in this. Why? Because by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, because this is focused on elders, we care about the time at the moment, guys. We've, I've already read 1 Timothy 3, where Paul lays out qualifications. I'm going to read now what he says in Titus 1, starting with verse 5. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, if anyone... Let me just pause here. This is... Okay. This is what's totally not taught in the New Testament. People go around and live their life any old way. I'm a Christian, yay, yay, yay. Oh, now we're going to vote you into eldership in this church. Oh, I guess I better live differently now. It's not the way the New Testament puts it. He says, look for men 
who love Jesus like this, who love truth, who live this way and live this way. Look for them. Those are the ones you want to go to and say, hey, what do you think about serving this way? And to point elders in every town as I directed you, if anyone is above reproach, a one-woman man has children who are faithful. Look, I just think what he's saying there is the way he said it, earlier he's got control a loving father but who's also in charge of his children they're faithful and the person is not open to the charge of debauchery what's that uh, follow my life around as a high school person or insubordination because an overseer is God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled. Upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Long before he showed up. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine that the apostles delivered to us. And one more heavy thing about elders. They are accountable. Hebrews 13 verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Anywhere throughout church history, anywhere today, any church, small or massive, there is no man. There are no groups of men who have final authority over the church. Elders are under Shepherds who are accountable to the chief shepherd. It is his church. He purchased it with his blood. And pastors and elders are unlike the world leaders. They are called to serve the people. And that's even why Paul, by the Holy Spirit, makes provision in the New Testament for elders to be disciplined. Not just by one voice. He says, don't even take it. Two, three, you got it. They're sheep. They fall, if you watch the news. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That means Jesus 
He will say to pastors, he will say to elders, what did you do to help the members of the church that you had responsibility for? What did you do to help them persevere in the faith? What did you teach them? How did you live before them? So, there's Paul. There's Barnabas. They were faithful as missionaries. They were faithful to Jesus. They were faithful to the gospel. They were faithful to the church. And they go back and they appointed men in these churches to serve as elders who would care for the flock, who would be faithful to teach what Paul and Barnabas handed down to them. And so I just end with one short, simple sentence. It is an honor as your fellow sheep for Bob and for me to serve here, you, at Sovereign Grace Fellowship as elders. Let's pray. Chief Shepherd, purely good, perfect man, our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work of your cross, purchasing for yourself a bride, purchasing for yourself a body, purchasing for yourself a church, an ecclesia, a gathering all over the world and throughout the centuries and who knows how many more to come. You were good. And I beg you on behalf of this congregation that your grace continue to flow upon Bob and upon me that we will in our lives finish well. We are utterly dependent upon you. And you are good. Thank you for this to the glory of your name. And for the sake of sheep. Amen.